Well, a very good morning. Nice to see you. <laughs> Sorry, you know, it's just in my hair. Uh, very warm welcome if you've not been to HTC before. Great to have you. Sorry to butt in to a conversation. My name's Ed. I'm on the staff here. We're going to have a reading in just a moment from Chloe. But before that, let me just start tell you a little story. Uh, this day was two weeks ago to the day. I was on my first day on a holiday in France. It was a hiking trip, about eight, ten of us on this hiking trip, me and my twin brother. And I don't know when you last took a COVID test. Uh, I've got a stash here, actually. If anyone wants anyone at the end, just grab me and come get one. But I made the mistake after tickly throat on that first Saturday morning and a, a sort of <laughs> increasing sweating brow. I went to the chemist and got a French COVID test, which is the same as an English COVID test, actually. But I did it. And this is what it came out as positive. <laughs> and that was the start of my week away. And so for a couple of days, I was there in bed, languishing. <laughs> you know the feeling. Well, COVID's a funny thing, isn't it? Because that rest of the week, literally the whole of the rest of the week, everyone else, 10 of them, were in this lovely log cabin, having their dinner around this lovely table. There was a log burner. There was waiter service. And then outside, <laughs> the other side of a shut, locked, glass patio door <laughs> was me and my brother. Oh. And Tom, to his credit, kept me, kept me company all week. But there we were. There was a picture of safety, of life, of health, that side of the patio door. And on the other side of the door was me, <laughs> a picture of ill health. And rightly, they had to keep us apart because there were people in that walking group, actually, who had vulnerabilities. One guy had prostate cancer, another sort of poor immune system. And it was right that we had to be apart. And, you know, if that's what it's like physically speaking with COVID, it's also true spiritually speaking with Christ Jesus. You know, it might be you're just looking into the Christian faith. Well, at the heart of it is Jesus Christ. And that's the sort of theme, not just of the Bible, but it's actually the heartbeat of our letter that we're in, in 2 Timothy. Do grab a Bible if you've not got one. Uh, we'll have it read to us in a second. But, oh, oh, wow, you are. Because <laughs> no one normally does that. I'll just give you a second. Well done. That is a great sign. Excellent sign. And very in line with our passages theme today in terms of correctly handling the word of truth. So well done. So Jesus is at the heartbeat of the Christian faith, and particular, he is the source of health and life and flourishing, and particularly his grace. So, for example, uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse um, 2, this is page 1195, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Or 1, 1 verse 9, uh, he saved us because of his grace. Or 2 verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And then the book ends, the very last words, 2 verse 20, uh, 422, grace be with you all. <laughs> grace, the grace, the undeserved kindness of Jesus Christ to you and me. That is the heartbeat of the Christian life, this church, and of true spiritual health. And that means any, any threat to that, any teaching, any prescription that suggests something else is the way to health that is actually very harmful and hurtful and dangerous. And that's where we've come to now in our letter to Timothy. It's a sobering passage, to be honest. Um, so if you're just visiting uh, HTC or church for the first time, do know, I suppose, that these are loving words of warning from, from Jesus, the great doctor of our souls. He's giving them to us in love to warn us. So Chloe, why don't you come and read for us? Do turn 2 Timothy 2, 
verse 14. I'll get you a mic. <laughs> or you can get it. <laughs> yeah, 2 Timothy 2.14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. <clears throat> Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Thank you, Can I say a prayer? Gosh, we need the Lord's help, don't we, for that passage. Father, thank you so much for your spirit, the one who caused these words to be written through the Apostle Paul. Please, would he, the spirit of truth, the spirit of grace, be our teacher now, just where we need it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Great, do keep that passage open if you can. Um, three things we'll be looking at. The longest point actually is the first. It's the risk of ill health. Then secondly, the, the, the responses to ill health. And thirdly, briefly, the remedy for ill health, which of course ultimately is the table. That's where we're heading this morning. So firstly, the risk of ill health. If you've got that passage open, do keep it open because you see implicit there is the way to health. It's there in verse um, 15. Do, you possess, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. That's our sermon series, Don't Be Ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. So Paul is saying, look, particularly to church leaders, don't forget he's talking, but in a secondary sense to all of us, he's saying, look, health, spiritual health comes when you, when you stick to the word of truth, when you handle it correctly. That phrase there, handle it correctly, from the Greek, scholars tell me, is literally ortho. So it's like, you know, orthodontist, you straighten out your teeth, or orthodoxy, right belief. It's that picture of a Roman road being as, ooh, as straight as this corridor here. Or it's when you're making those cakes with your kids and they're trying to follow the recipe and they shove in 50 grams of sugar instead of, no, it's 20. You know, you follow it to the T. It's, it's your compass on your iPhone. Uh, J, um, Jamie, you could do the compass thing by the looks of it uh, from earlier. But, but a compass north is that way and you keep it absolutely straight. You keep your degrees, boom, not an inch, not a degree to the left or right. That's what's going on there. That is where health comes from as we stay fixed north. 
on the word of God in scripture. And that means, Paul's telling us, that ill health, spiritual ill health comes, well, when you turn the compass just a degree or two, just left or right, after not many meters or miles, you will end up in a very different place. See that in verse 16. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenus and Philetus who've departed or, or, or digressed or drifted from the truth. Avoid godless chatter. Uh, so, um, so they've departed from the truth. They said that the resurrection has already taken place and so they destroy the faith of some. Do you see that? They're drifting just very slightly. They're putting in some extra ingredients. They're turning a degree or two to the left or right. And because of that, they're drifting from the truth of God. And their particular error was interesting there in first century Ephesus in Turkey. It was saying that the resurrection had already happened. You think, hmm, that doesn't sound like a big deal to me. But actually, for a Jewish Christian, uh, or Jewish Jews of the day, they believed in the resurrection of the dead uh, uh, at the end of history. That was when the resurrection would happen. But then with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that first Easter day, well, the resurrection in part seems to already happen, and they couldn't understand that. They were scratching their heads, what is going on here? And so they thought, well, we believe in Jesus now. Well, we must have been risen too. He's right, he's, he's risen from the dead. Well, we... We're now in the resurrection life now too. And we don't need to worry too much about this call to suffer. It's all about the good glory stuff now. And actually, you know what? Our physical bodies, well, you know, maybe God's more interested in the spiritual than the physical anyway. You know, so we can do what we want with whoever we want with our bodies. Amazingly contemporary, isn't it? To 21st century London. And that came just because of a a little nudge on the tiller to the left or to the right. And it happened then... (laughs) And it happens today. The whole of church history is littered with story after story from the New Testament onwards of just adding ingredients or missing some out or going this way or that way. I wonder where you and I or our church leaders in our nation are tempted to go astray. All sorts of ways, aren't there? Depending on one's culture and background and where you are in the world. Perhaps for us here in the West, well, it could be, I was thinking a couple, it could be, one could be, actually, in the Gospels, you see Jesus' great heart for the poor and the vulnerable and the call for his people to actually show that care and compassion in practical mercy too. And that can be a calling that we sort of, well, we sort of dilute a little bit, can't it? That's one way. Or it could be, I suppose, what you might call a sort of gospel of self-esteem, suffer fulfillment where Jesus has come first and foremost to to make me happy and wealthy and healthy perhaps we wouldn't say it we're we're too polite we wouldn't say it like that but we do so often have that sense don't we that Jesus is to give is there to give me what I want all sorts of ways we just digress here or there or have that spoken to us in different places. I think of a lawyer friend of mine uh, at my old firm and he, he, he picked up a, a Christian book from a pastor over the pond uh, advocating the, the sense of being wealthy and Jesus will make you very wealthy and he was already loaded, he was already a partner but he was gripped by this book and we looked actually on Tottenham Court Road over some sushi, we looked at Luke where Jesus says uh, uh, you need to be prepared to give up your soul and that he, 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 he was like what? <laughs> Just a little nudge on the tiller and you can go way off. And that's just drifting. There are some in our passage who don't just drift, 
but deliberately set their compass. If there's north, they say, actually, I'm going to go south. And they go that way. Do you see that? We haven't read it, had it read to us, but there in chapter 3, verse um, 8, we hear this story about Janus and Jambres, who are sort of uh, meant to be uh, the uh, magicians in, in Pharaoh's era in the book of Exodus, who opposed Moses. Well, these false teachers, they're in bold, the, second, the third bold line there. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. Do you see that? It's not just a a degree or two. It is going absolutely the opposite direction to what God said in his word. It is putting very different ingredients. It is instead of putting yogurt in your Nigella recipe cake, it's actually I'm going to ditch that and I'm going to put some bleach in. That would be a terrible... That would be a terrible thing to do, wouldn't it? With a a child, if you hate baking at home. But spiritually speaking, when we turn from God's word and we go against it, it is spiritually, it's putting bleach in the nourishment we need, which is so dangerous, so harmful for everybody. And what's interesting with these guys, these false teachers, as we might call them, is that they've got style but no substance. They, they look sort of impressive on the outside. They're on our passage again, if you put it up, Sarah, verse, uh, chapter 3 again. Look at the first five verses there of how they are described. There'll be, uh, there'll be terrible times in the last days. That's talking about the times between Jesus' first and second coming, which, which was the first century, but it's also us in the 21st century London. What's the mark of various types of people? Well, look at that list of 18, 19 things. 19 things. It's such a dire list, isn't it? Lovers of money, boastful, proud abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, without love, treacherous, rash, conceited. And there's the big one, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. There's a bit of style about them. They've got the chat, they've got the talk, but spiritually there's no substance. They're not walking the walk. And it was true then, and it can be true today. And the giveaway there is the character. They are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See the binary there, it is either this or that. And at the end of the day, when you strip back the bonnet and you see what's underneath at their heart, is that they love something or someone other than Jesus Christ and his word. And I suppose that's a great question to ask all of us, to be honest. What is it in your heart that you love most of all? Who is it? What is it? What is it that you desire? Because as Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury's theology of human nature has been summarized, what your heart desires, your will does, and your mind justifies. What what controls you in the cockpit of your being, your heart, That has the power to take you this way or that way. Lovers of pleasure. All sorts of things, can't there? 
be. And the thing is, when our hearts, our beliefs latch onto something, then sooner or later it will show in one's character, in one's behavior. One leads to the other. They're unavoidable, they're linked there. But it works the other way too. If there is a certain type of lifestyle or behavior or habit that I will not let go of, that I love too much, then sooner or later I will change my beliefs here to accommodate my behavior there. That's the danger facing church is in to whom Paul is writing. And we change our beliefs so often by listening to that question, did God really say? Do you remember that? Back in Genesis 3, the whispering of the, serv- uh, of the serpent. Did God really say? He said to Adam and Eve about the fruit in the tree. And what's ser- the serpent, a picture of the evil one doing there? Well, he is, he is in, in one question, he is making us doubt the goodness of God's character and the goodness of his boundaries. And he's also challenging the clarity and the authority of God's word just with a question, did God really say? Question mark. And that was it. That was it. And, and Eve and Adam were hooked in with a very open, innocent sounding question, did God really say? And so that is the enemy's oldest trick in the book. To question, to doubt, to dilute, to digress from his word. It's as old as Adam, that trick. And it can be very subtle, can't it? C.S. Lewis mentioned that in his novel, The Screwtape Letters, where an older uh, devil, senior one, writes to junior one. And he talks about the way away from Christ and his word. And he says this, that way, the safest way away, it's a gradual one. It's a gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Very subtle, the drift, the opposition can begin. And that's what this church was in danger of to whom Paul's writes. And I suppose sooner or later, um, the challenge comes to us in the 21st century, doesn't it? Because if we're in the last days too, that that means church leaders and pastors, bishops, vicars, curates, ordinands, anyone who preaches really, and the rest of us, we need to be so very careful of what kind of under-shepherds we are under the great shepherd. Because if Christ's flock, me and you, his people, if we are those who are precious to him, those for whom Christ died, then any threat to the flock is dangerous, letting wolves uh, loose amongst you. You do not do that. And Paul is saying, watch out for that. Will they be led, the flock, in ways of life and grace and truth and flourishing or led to ways of harm and hurt? and spiritual bleach. That's the warning here. Because sooner or later they will go in different directions. You can't walk together at the end of the day on some things. And if I just may say for a couple of minutes about that phrase walking together in the context that we're in, uh, in the Church of England. Walking together is a phrase that's in vogue at the moment, you might have heard, in relation to something called living in life, uh, love and faith, which is the discussions the Church of England has been having for a number of years now about sex and marriage and so on. 
And this year is a significant year because in February, Synod just gone, um, the, the, uh, the, um, the, the General Synod, the governing body of the Church of England, is making, it seems, a trajectory towards a certain direction. And this July, or more likely this November, they're getting close to making a decision. And the decision is, what is the church's official teaching going to be about sex and marriage, as reflected in um, uh, the published prayers and liturgy, the source of our doctrine? And so the key question at the moment being asked is this, at the end of the day it's this, does God give the good gift of sex to be enjoyed only in marriage between a husband and wife, as is the current teaching of the church? Or... Does God encourage and bless sexual intimacy in contexts other than that? That's the question being discussed still. And many, many are concerned and believe that the, the, the doctrine should stay as it is, as the church down through the ages and around the world has believed about sex and marriage. But there's also many, many who think, no, we need to change the times and go with the flow of culture, particularly since the sexual revolution from the 60s, and um, uh, adjust what we really believe and are prepared to bless. And as I say this, I know this is such a personal issue for all of us. Of course it is. We're humans with feelings and desires and all sorts of relationships. This is so real. And I just want to underline, as we've said before, everybody <laughs> is welcome at HTC. We, we're so glad you're here this morning. And some of us will be asking, well, does God... Why would God be bothered with who I sleep with? Why does he care? <laughs> well, if, if that's you, I urge you to watch back. In February, Jago, our vicar, did a 12, 13-minute YouTube clip explaining the, the current situation, both nationally and here uh, locally at HTC. So I'd urge you to watch that on YouTube. I'd also recommend this book to you uh, by Sam Albury. It's called Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? It's a great read on... Um, on, on the topic. I'd urge you to get a copy of that. We've got some around somewhere. Please do get one of those. But this is certainly testing times for members and ministers in the Church of England. And you know, in a couple of weeks' time, Felix and I, we will be ordained as priests in our beloved Church of England. And the bishop will be there, and we'll be there in our gowns dressing gowns, and we will be asked this question. Will you faithfully minister the doctrine and sacraments of Christ as the Church of England has received them so that the people committed to your charge may be defended against error and flourish in the faith? What a question. And the answer, we're told to say, is by the help of God, I will. And so I want you to say a prayer. Pray, pray for us, pray for the church, pray for the Church of England, that we would, by the help and grace of God, be those who do stick to the North Compass, who, who stay true to the Lord's word, whatever culture might say. We so need your prayers. We all need to be praying for that for one another, don't we, in our different contexts. Because of the reality of ill health. So that's the first, most sober point this morning, and the longest, the reality of ill health. I wonder if that's ever occurred to you particularly, <laughs> that it's possible to be in a spiritually really healthy, flourishing, lifey place, 
but it's also possible to be in a very dangerous, risky, harmful place, uh, or to have teaching that leads you down that way. Because our health, your health, matters to the Lord who bought you with his own blood. The reality of ill health. But secondly, and far more briefly, the response to ill health. Because Paul is intriguing here. He's very nuanced as ever with the way he prescribes responses to teaching that's unhelpful, not life-giving. I wonder if you notice them. I've called them here hands, face, space, just to keep up the COVID thing. Um, Hands, you know, hands are first and foremost about cleaning cleaning your own hands, keeping yourself clean. And that's the first thing Paul addresses. He doesn't say, you guys, sort yourselves out. He's pointing the finger. No, there's always three fingers pointing back at yourself, aren't there, when you point at others. And the first port of call for the leaders of the church, but also all of us, is there, it's who cleanse themselves. The picture of that metaphor there is of a, you know, your granny's china bowl. You know, you put your lovely avocado salad in it, and next to it is a bottle of bleach. And the moment your bleach spills into that empty, precious granny's china, you quickly wipe it away. You wipe away the bleach so that the china's protected. You clean up your own house, your own heart, by God's grace. So that's the first thing about ensuring ourselves are in check. I wonder how often you and I do a sort of spiritual MOT on ourselves, not all the time in a sort of intense way, but asking ourselves, gosh, what is it my heart's loving most of all at the moment? Because there'll be all sorts of rivals to Jesus, won't there? Be in our hearts. So, a hands... Face, you remember what Boris said. Second is face, or what we call face to face. Look, this is so counterintuitive. Paul doesn't get onto Twitter and say no platform and do this and I hate you all. No, his first port of call to those who are drifting just a little bit is (laughs) his kindness. Did you see that? 2 verse 23. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, you know, just picking for a fight all the time. No, but must be kind to everybody, that lovely fruit of the spirit, kindness, able to teach, not resentful, and then opponents must be gently instructed. Isn't that a lovely way to deal with sheep that have gone astray, not beating them with a stick or yelling at them, it is gently, as it were, taking them and saying, no, come this way, can I show you? And that's our part, but the Lord does the real thing. The Lord grants repentance. That's true for all of us. Any sign of a repentant heart is the sign of the Lord's work in us. And so we do our part by opening up the scriptures and we see if the Lord will use that, as he might well do, to bring them back to the path with gentleness. John Newton was a master at this. I'd love to, I won't have time, but there's a lovely letter, well, loads of letters that he wrote to ministers who are way off track But he's always, as we thought last night, if you were here, he was holding out that arm of friendship again and again with the prayer that they would gently come back. What a lovely model for us to engage with others. Which raises the question, I suppose, for all of us. Have we got people in our lives who who we give permission to just give a gentle steer on the rudder of our lives? We We all need those people. I wonder if you've got any in your life. So there's hands, there's face, and then last but not least, there's space. 
there are some teachers who are so adamant on heading south, so opposed to Christ and his word, that Paul says this, 3 verse 5, have nothing to do with such people. That is, there is a time and place and space to close the patio door. Not because you're sort of angry or you're belligerent sort of person and you're narrow-minded. No, because you want to protect those around the table. It's for their sake, for the protection of the flock, that you guard the flock. Do you see that? This isn't angry, narrow-mindedness. This is love for the flock for whom Christ died. Hands and face and space. That's how Paul responds. And finally and thirdly, lastly, our last couple of minutes, that's all very well, giving us the risk of ill health. And it's good to hear about responses to it within the life of a church or a denomination. But come on, what's the real remedy? (laughs) That only goes so far. And the remedy, the cure, of course, well, it's not a what, it's not a bottle. It's a who. It's him. That's how our passage began. 2.14, keep reminding God's people of these things. And what things? Well, he's told us 2 verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. As in the moment we come to the table, we are receiving again the, the healing balm the forgiveness that Jesus Christ brings, the life of the Spirit, his grace and truth. For all the ways we go astray, today, last week, Jesus Christ has paid the price to bring us back home, to bring us back on the straight and narrow. See, he's the one who left the safety, the home, the flourishing of his heavenly home, and he was thrown outside with a patio door shut. He was one who was contaminated with our sins that we'd have the cure. He got the virus of God's judgments that we would get the vaccine. (laughs) What a love of Jesus Christ who comes out and gets us. That's the grace that we thought of right at the beginning, the grace of Jesus Christ. And the remedy for anyone who's gone off stray, whether that way or that way or that way, is always (laughs) to come back, to come to him, the great doctor, the physician of our souls, in whom is healing and hope and fresh starts. There is nothing that he's not prepared to wash away if we but come to him. Amazing, isn't it? The grace of Jesus. And it's because of that healing balm that any harmful bleach is such a serious thing because his healing is utterly unique. It is out of this world. There is nothing like it. And so any threat to it is a big deal. And the answer is to get back on the north, onto the compass, back to him. So let's have a moment's quiet. We've covered a lot of ground, personally, and as a church family, and perhaps as the national church. I wonder what one thing that you took from this morning's passage. Just in the quietness, think again about the reality of ill health. Think about the responses to it and the remedy for it. And then I'll pray.